And I want to invite you to please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting from verse 8. So would you please stand if you can? Colossians chapter 3, let's read verse 8 through 13. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, circumcised, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on them as, go- as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. You can be seated. Is the audio okay? Can you hear me well? Yeah? Good. Let us pray. Father, we... Once again, we are beggars and we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your presence. We need your grace. Help us. Lord, help us to be eager to receive your word. I pray our hearts would be enlarged as you speak to us. Therefore, help me to be faithful. Help me to be a good slave. Help me to be chained to your word with chains of faithfulness. Deliver me from the fear of man. And I pray to deliver the congregation for, from all sorts of things that might be trying to devour the seed that's planted. Get those demonic birds out of our midst. Help us to be concentrated, thinking, paying attention, and applying the word into our lives, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. There is no other voice that we want to hear. Only your voice. So speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We have been talking about forgiveness have been studying about forgiveness of sins. And it's fascinating how the subject of forgiveness affects so many people uh, and how much emotion there is in the topic of forgiveness. So if you read stories about people in court and they were in court and that person had molested, murdered a family member and that person who is there stands up and says... I forgive you. And there's so much emotion as we read stories like that. And, and just, there's one sense that forgiveness is in our soul, the longing for forgiveness because of the fall. That was not how we were made to be. We were created by God to live in shalom, in, in a harmonious relationship with God. And sin broke that. 
And forgiveness is the restoration of that broken relationship. So there is an aspect that we long. We long for forgiveness. But then you add sin, and then we pervert the idea of forgiveness. So sin, forgiveness becomes contaminated with the, our own ideas of forgiveness because of our sin. So it becomes a mess, this subject. That's why we need to go to the Word of God and ask God to instruct us to understand forgiveness. And especially today as we look to the how. How am I supposed to forgive one another? Can I create my own standards? Am I supposed to forgive the way I want to forgive? Or does God stipulate how am I supposed to forgive one another? I like what the James Kennedy says. He writes, Before we can enter into any lasting relationship with another, we must learn how to forgive. Since we all hurt one another. The Bible says forgiving one another. It does not simply say forgiving others. But forgiving one another. It says it's a mutual, cooperative venture. Not only do we need to forgive, we need also to receive forgiveness. It's the indispensable sign of a Christian. And we ought to learn how to forgive. Why? So we can feel better about ourselves? No, so we can glorify God, so we can magnify our triune God. And what is so vital in forgiveness is to preserve the unity of the church that Christ has purchased with His own blood. So that's where we're going to be looking this morning at the how of forgiveness. And of course, you've got to always start with God. So how does God forgive us? That's the first question. And then how do we forgive one another? That's the goal for this morning's sermon. So first, before we... And the temptation is always about ourselves. How am I supposed to forgive that person that I don't like? How am I supposed to forgive so-and-so? And stop, stop. We've got to first start with the Lord. It always starts with Him. So the first thing is, how does God forgive me? How does God forgive us? Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, what? As God in Christ forgave you. So the standard, the pattern of how we're going to forgive one another is God's forgiveness towards us. So much of what we're going to be looking right now is something that we saw earlier, but that's what's important. There's connection in this series here. So for example, how does God forgive us? One example is looking at the story of David. And remember, David sins, the prophet comes, confronts him, rebukes him, and David repents. And then we read in 2 Samuel 12, 13. Right after David repents, I have sinned. Nathan says, The Lord also has put your sin away. You shall not die. So the picture here is the Lord doing what? Getting that sin that was hindering the relationship between Yahweh and David... Remember, David is struggling. He cannot have a relationship with the Lord. Why? He says that in the Psalms. Everything is groaning inside of me. I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Why? Because he had not confessed and repented. 
And as soon as he repents and confesses, the Lord does this. He gets that sin that's hindering the two parties, and he removes. So now they can be together. Your sin has been put away. So now David and Yahweh can be together. That's how God forgives us. He gets that sin, and he moves out of the way for us to be in fellowship with him. Another way of looking how God forgives us is by looking at Colossians 2. And that's a beautiful statement that Paul makes here. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, look at that, God made alive together with Him, that's Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing to the cross. And notice how Paul puts together making alive and what comes right after making alive? Forgiving. By forgiving. He made you alive having forgiven. Can you see that in your Bibles? What comes right after made you alive? Good. Forgiving. Forgiveness, there is this picture of resurrection. Why? The relationship is dead. Sin brings death between the relationship of man and God. And God brings this resurrection by forgiving us in Christ Jesus. So that's a beautiful picture of how God forgives us. He's literally raising us from our grave as we are separated from Him. So for forgiveness of sins brings life, life with God. We have fellowship with Him. And Paul says, strong words here, having forgiven us all our trespasses, how? By canceling, literally obliterating the debt that we had. Peter used the same word in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when he says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be the same word. Blotted out, wiped away, obliterated. That's the picture that we have here. Jesus taking our debt. We all carry a debt towards God. We all carry a debt towards God. And the picture is Jesus taking that debt that we had with God and doing what? It's mine. I will pay that. And he nailed to the cross with his blood. He's paying that debt. So that's a beautiful picture of how God forgives us. He takes the debt that we have. It's mine. You're free. No condemnation, no guilt now. I take upon myself. That's how God forgives us. Another way of looking at how God forgives us is by the wonderful promise that Jeremiah makes of the new covenant. One of the glorious aspects of the new covenant is how God is going to forgive us. So it says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And by now you know that to remember the sin no more is not amnesia. It's not that God suddenly forgets things. No, to remember no more is a covenantal. A covenantal. It's a covenant act that I will not condemn you. I will not bring that sin back. Every time God remembers something, it's not that just is coming to his mind. He's acting. So you read the book of Exodus, when God remembers his promises to the patriarchs, what is he doing? He's coming to rescue Israel from bondage. So when God remembers no more, means that he will not bring that into account. 
I will not condemn you because of your sins. There is this aspect of a promise that God makes. And another important aspect of how God forgives us. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The word for forgiveness here is very unique. That's one of those words that Paul alone used for forgiveness as being an act of grace. Haritzomai, from, from where we have haris, grace. It's an act of grace how he's forgiving us. One Greek lexicon says that the word haritzomai means to show oneself gracious by forgiving wrongdoing. So the greatest display of the grace of God is where? On the cross by forgiving our sins. That's what Paul is saying here. In Colossians 2, 13, Paul says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. So, go back. In Ephesians, he says, Forgiving as God, where? In Christ forgave us. And then in Colossians, says, With Him forgive. We are forgiven in Christ. So that's very important. How does God forgive us? In Christ. In Christ Jesus. There is no forgiveness outside Christ. He forgives us in Christ. And that's important because we are going to see that that's how we are supposed to forgive one another. In Christ. So how does God forgive sinners? First of all, in Christ. There is no other means of forgiveness. There is salvation in no other name but the name of Christ. How does God forgive our sins in Christ? He removes our sin, just like with David. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, bringing us back into his relationship so we can be together. How does God forgive us? By canceling the unpayable debt that we had. He takes upon himself that debt. How does God forgive us? He forgives us by making a promise that he will not use our sins against us to condemn us. How does God forgive us? He forgives us through a costly sacrifice. Those are important things because that's how we're supposed to forgive one another. Chris Browns, he writes, God's forgiveness is gracious. He offers forgiveness freely. This is not because forgiveness is free in terms of cost. It's a very expensive gift that can be offered freely because, motivated by love, God sent His one and only Son to pay the price for it. He goes on, he says, God's forgiveness is a commitment. When God forgives us, he makes a commitment that we are pardoned from our sin and that is no longer counted against us. God's forgiveness is conditional. Only those who repent and have saving faith are forgiven. Unless, he says, God's forgiveness lays the ground for and begins the process of reconciliation. When God forgives us, our relationship with him is restored. Not all consequences are immediately eliminated. You know that with David. He was forgiven and still he had consequences. So that's how God forgives us. And that's how we're going to forgive one another. We just don't erase, cancel all the consequences. But he says, God disciplines his children as a father, discip as a father disciplines his children. So that's so crucial as we're going to be thinking about how, we, how we, we must forgive one another. First of all, we need to understand how God forgives us. So how does God forgive us? 
And now you have all these biblical grounds to understand. When we repent of our sins, He's ready. That's one of the beautiful things. He's ready. He's a forgiving God. He has this disposition to forgive us. And as soon as we repent and confess our sins, He removes that sin. He embraces us. He takes us home. And He never brings again that sin against us. That's how God forgives us. And that's through a costly sacrifice. So, as our hearts behold how God forgives us, I pray that our hearts would be enlarged, full of love, admiration, because that's how He's going to use to empower us to forgive one another. So we can move now to the second part. Is how do we forgive one another? What does... Think about a Christian. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Think about the word Christian. A follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes. If you think about the, the Roman background, you had the Herodians. Who were the Herodians? Those who belonged to Herod. You had the Caesareans, those who belonged to whom? And then you have Christians. What are they? Those who belong to Christ. So there is an aspect of belonging to. A Christian is one who belongs to Christ. And we belong to Christ. And all that we do, all that we say, all that we think must be under His Lordship. Amen? Sadly, so much of forgiveness we remove from the Lordship of Christ. And suddenly we decide how to forgive. However I feel like, no longer Christ is in charge to dictate how I must forgive. And we need to say, no, no. He's my Lord and He must teach me. He must guide me and be the Lord over me how I forgive my brothers and sisters. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, we read this verse. Paul says, verse 12 and 13, Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Or Ephesians, we read this passage, but let's read again. That's important. Paul says, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So this conjunction here, we have a conjunction as. It's a loaded conjunction. Because it, it literally can, mean, can express cause, degree, and manner. Meaning. We are to forgive one another as could be a cause. Because Christ forgave us. It could be the extent or the degree. We must forgive one another to the extent that we have been forgiven in Christ. That's what Jesus teaches. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And could be also manner. 
We must forgive one another just as we were forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. So it's a loaded word. And I think the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to choose that specific word because it has all this range of implications for us. So one scholar says, Wood, he says, Paul sets forth the strongest possible motive. Christians are to forgive one another because all of them have already been forgiven by God in Christ. And you see the verb tenses here. Paul says, forgiving one another as God what? Okay, he forgave us in Christ. Do you see the verb tenses? What is the difference of the verb tenses? Yes. One is past, the other is present. The past is the judicial aspect. You were forgiven in Christ Jesus. Done. Forgiven. And because that took place, because you were forgiven by Christ, now you are empowered to do what? Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. So, even the verb tense are important here. In the context, I, uh, go, go to Colossians chapter 3. And also, keep on finger there. And then you can go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And the context is very important to understand why Paul is saying these things here. Let me ask you, who is Paul talking to? The church. Wonderful. He's talking to a local church. That's the context of the command to forgive one another. Is the life in the local church. Paul is giving instructions and commandments to a local church of how they must dress themselves. Not with clothes, but with the garments of love. They are no longer in Adam. They do not longer wear Adam's clothes. They are in Christ, and they wear Christ's garments. So put on the garments of Christ, and put off the garments of Adam. That's the context. That's very important. Forgiveness of sin is crucial, critical, essential, central, and vital in the life of the church. Think about all the commands that we have to love one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to share our time with one another. Share our wallets with one another. Share our homes with one another. You cannot do that apart from the local church. That's a command to the church. Christians living in a local church. And as you do that, what happens? The chances of hurting one another increase, right? The more you spend time with someone, the more you realize that the potential to hurt one another is greater. Remember, you're dating. You could not see any flaws. <laughs> right? Then once you get married, what happened to that person? <laughs> Reality check. We are living together. And the same with a church. You can be attending a church and never be involved. Nobody's going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt anybody. But as soon as you start living the New Testament way of life in a local church, what happens? We're going to hurt one another. There is no way to not happen that. So as we live together, we will hurt one another. 
And I like what Jay Adams says, we need the oil, the WD of forgiveness that keeps things running smoothly. We need that. That's the only oil that can keep things in the church running smoothly is forgiveness. He talks about how we must work together closely. And then we find ourselves denting each other's fenders, taking a taillight, and at times even having head-on collisions. And under such circumstances, forgiveness is vital for the life of the local church. Amen? So, as we think how we are supposed to forgive one another, we are supposed to forgive as God forgave us in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. But I just want to bring some other practical aspects of how to forgive one another. And the first one is how to confront. Because if I'm called to forgive, sometimes I will have to confront. So much of what takes place, we can and we must cover, cover the offense, drop it, overlook. Those are words that the Bible uses. But there are times when there are sins that they cannot be overlooked. Because of our love towards the Lord, our love towards our brothers and sisters, there will be times when we must confront. We must rebuke a brother and sister. That's just part of the Christian life and part of Christ's command to us. Jesus says, Luke chapter 17, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, what? Ignore him. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, say, I repent, you must forgive him. Or Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, what do you do? Ignore him. Go, look at that. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So there will be times when we must confront one another in order for us to bestow forgiveness, for us to maintain the unity of the body. So how do I confront a brother or sister who is in sin? How do I do that? We saw here, the first thing we need to do is you must go to the one who sinned against you. Go to him. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. Do not go to other people. The temptation is to do what? I sin against Charlene. Charlene does what? That's the temptation, to tell other people. We want people to defend us. No, we go to the person. We go to the person. And do you know the problem is we, we put those garments of, I need wisdom. I need some counsel here. So you go and you gossip to another brother and sister. Can you believe can you believe that so-and-so did that to me? That's the temptation for us to do. Instead of obeying the Lord and doing the hard thing that's just to go, we try to involve other people. And that's 
harmful to the unity of the church. We must make every effort to avoid unnecessarily involving others. Failure to follow Jesus' instruction in this area often causes terrible damage. Unnecessarily involving others can destroy friendships and divide churches. So Jesus says, go. If someone in this church sin against you, and we talk about sin, not petty offenses that you took upon yourself. We can be offended all day long, and, and actually there are no sins against the Lord and against you, right? So we need to stop with the drama. When there is sin, there is a sin against the Lord, that's an ugly sin, you go to the person. Don't stay paralyzed in your bitterness, in your anger. Jesus says, go, go. And here we see how forgiveness is not primarily about how I feel. So much of the teaching of forgiveness today is how you feel. And if you forgive, you're going to feel better. So you don't need to confront someone. Just forgive in your heart. And you're going to feel better about that. And now we see how forgiveness. No, 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 no. You must involve others. You must go to that person. It's a family. It's a family event. Chris Brown, he says... If forgiveness were something that happened only within a person, then Matthew 18, 15 through 20 would not be necessary. Believers could work through forgiveness privately. But Jesus taught that forgiveness is something that happens between two parties. So he says forgiveness is figurative, is a figurative handshake or a hug. You cannot shake hands alone and you cannot hug yourself. For forgiveness to happen, you need to seek out the offending party or the offended party if you are the offender. Extend your hand and pray that the other party will offer his or hers to you. We need that. There are times when we need to go to that person and say, hey, our relationship is damaged because of the sin and that cannot be in our church. We are harming the unity that Christ bought for us. So, we see how forgiveness is a church endeavor. We, we must be thinking about the body, what Christ has accomplished, what Christ, Christ has purchased, the unity, and stop thinking just about myself. And even for love of your brother. You don't want your brother or sister to be in sin, living in sin. You want him to repent. Okay, so you go to that person. It's hard, but we need to do it. Don't go to other people. Go to that person. Don't try to, let let me get someone else's advice. Someone who I know is going to be on my side. So, no, don't do that. Uh, Second, go to him or her with gentleness and humility. That's so important. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender heart, preceding the forgiving one another. Use the opportunity to show Christ. Don't go in anger, self-righteousness, bitterness. No, 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 no. Matthew 18 says that you are going there to gain your brother back to Christ. You're not going there to win your case and make your case. 
You're there to confront the person because you love him and you know that that sin is hindering, first of all, his relationship or her relationship with the Lord. So you want to go to win that person to Christ. So you go with gentleness, humility. In humility, you try to listen to the brother and sister. Not to excuse the sin, but sometimes listening, you realize that you also sin. How many times have you got in an argument and you think you're right? And then you're talking to the person and suddenly you realize, ah, man, the Holy Spirit convicts you. And right there, you say, hey, I, I actually need to ask for forgiveness also. Humility. A lot of times you see that, oh, me too. So go with gentleness, kindness. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I like what Thomas Reiner writes about this verse. He says, One who truly loves others and is walking the Spirit approaches them with firmness, since they have sinned, mingled with humility, so that they are treated gently. And honestly, this principle should be applied to all of us, everybody. The offender, the offended party, we all must be wearing garments of gentleness. Uh, sometimes we, we, we threat going to the person because we have seen that person being so unopened to a rebuke, right? Sometimes you don't want to go to a person because you know that that person will be harsh and not opening to receive a correction. And that's not good either. We all must be clothed with gentleness. We must be marked by being rebukable, right? And we should ask ourselves, am I rebukable? Can people come to me and rebuke me? Or as soon as somebody comes to me, I'm going to raise my lawyer, my defense, and I'm going to state my case, defending myself. So that's very important for us to think through. We must remove, as Paul says, remove from our lives all anger, wrath, malice, slander, evil talk, just like a filthy garment. Think about A doctor, and he's in a place where people are filled with infections, disease. Those garments, as soon as he gets out of there, he needs to remove those garments. Otherwise, we'll infect others. The same with us. We need to remove those old garments from Adam. And then Paul tells us, we put new garments and he's telling the church, we must be praying for ourselves, for the whole church, that as we come together, that we would be clothed with gentleness, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, love. Amen? And that will enable us to come to one another and be open to receive a rebuke if necessary. Another important aspect of how, to, how do we forgive one another is how to ask for forgiveness. How to ask for forgiveness? When you have been confronted by the Holy Spirit through a brother or sister, that you sin against that person, how do you 
ask for forgiveness. Have you seen how often when people are asking for forgiveness, they're actually excusing their sin? Yeah, please forgive me. But Lee, if you had not said that, I would not do that. Right? Please forgive me. But if you knew what I was going through, you'd be more understanding. So stop with excuse. Please forgive me, but if you, if, you, if you could see how much the Lord has already been working my life in this area, it's like, there's no repentance. Use the S word, sin. The dreaded S word in the church, sin. I have sin against you, brother. That's the biblical vocabulary. That's how people repent and ask for forgiveness. I have sin against the Lord. I have sin against you. I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? If there is no humility, brokenness, true repentance, there will be no forgiveness. And there will be no reconciliation. That's just how it works. So, how we ask for forgiveness is important to you. Amen? Another question of the how is how often, how often I must forgive my brother. And we always go to the text in Matthew 18 or Luke chapter 17 when Jesus talks about forgiving seven times or 77 that we have in Matthew 18. And what is Jesus teaching here about the how often? He's teaching us that we must have a forgiving disposition. That's what he's teaching here. He's not teaching us to carry a notebook with us and say, forgiven, 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 forgiven. Hey! He said seven times on a day, it's eighth. I cannot forgive you. That's not what Jesus is saying. The 70 times seven, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about having a disposition to be forgiving just like God is forgiving. That's what he's calling us to do. To have a heart that's always ready to forgive when there is repentance. And we certainly have the duty to look at the fruit of repentance. We are going to talk more about that the next few Lord day, Lord's Day. As we look at when to forgive. There must be repentance and we must look at the fruit of repentance. Can you imagine? Every time I walk by Chris, I punch him. I walk by Chris there, I punch him. Bah! Oh, Chris, please forgive me, brother. I should not have done that. Chris, in kindness, he forgives me. 40 minutes later, I walk by him, punch him again. Oh, please forgive me, Chris. Yeah, I forgive you. An hour later, boom. Let's take in consideration his self-control. <laughs> and I say, please forgive me, Chris. Remember, Chris, Jesus says 70 times 7. You have the duty to walk away and not forgive because there is no repentance. Jesus is not calling us to a, this sort of blind 
forgiving machine that you're just forgiving everyone no matter what. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's a disposition we must be thinking about biblically what's taking place here. So, how often, and we're going to see more about that, but what Jesus is emphasizing is these two texts, Luke 17, Matthew 18, is a disposition to be forgiving. We must have a forgiving heart, ready to forgive when the occasion comes. Amen? So we come now to the last part, and how to forgive one another. How are we supposed to forgive one another? I like what Jay Adams writes. He says, when you forgive another, you declare that you are canceling his debt, removing his guilt, and promising that you will never again bring up his guilt, and promising that you will never again bring up his offenses to use against him. The promise involved three things. One, I will not bring the matter up to you. How often we say that we forgave someone and we keep bringing it up. Bringing that debt upon the person's head. I will not bring it up, the matter up to you. I will not bring the matter up to another. And I will not bring the matter up to myself. The three promises when we forgive someone. I think it's very practical, very biblical. The promise we are making and we are forgiving someone when there is repentance and the call to forgive someone. So, how must I forgive my brother and sister in Christ? First, we must forgive one another by making a promise like our God to not use that sin that was confessed as a weapon against our brother and sister who repented. Once we forgave, it's forgiven. We bury that sin with our own sins under the blood of Christ. That's all we need to do. Just like our, bro- like our Lord Jesus, we remove that sin. Once it's forgiven, we remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. How are we to forgive one another? We forgive one another with a gracious and generous disposition. Not being stingy. Begrudgingly. Forgiveness. No. Graciously, just like God, He shows His grace in forgiving us. The same we ought to do. Browns writes, If you are a Christian, then remember, whatever someone has done to offend you, pales in comparison to what you have done to offend God. And He has shown you grace, therefore we must show grace. How am I to forgive my brother and sister? We ought to forgive one another using God's standards, not ours. That's what's so sad about so many books on forgiveness. A lot of man-centered standards instead of biblical God-centered standards. Three. Or four. How are we called to forgive one another? We must forgive with the goal of reconciliation. That's so important. We must forgive with the goal of reconciliation. The removal of sin when I forgive someone is not just so I can feel better about myself. Or it's not just to remove the guilt from that person. No, the goal of forgiveness is to bring the two parties together. Okay, when God forgave you, did He, did he keep you outside His home? When there was forgiveness. The goal is reconciliation between the parties. It's always the goal. So much that we hear about forgiveness is ignoring this aspect. 
Forgiveness is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. Adam says, a new and better relationship with those from whom we have become estranged because of some altercation. So, forgiveness prepares the way, cleans up the way for reconciliation. So, too often forgiveness becomes a thing for you to feel better about yourself. So, you can forgive someone and forget that person. Have you heard about that? Just forgive and forget that person. Or you can forgive someone and continue hating that person. Now, as you look at these scriptures, the goal, the goal is to bring reconciliation. But we must remember that we are not God. And there are sins that have consequences. That's very important. And when someone who has committed a heinous, horrible sin against you, abused you, cheated on you, the Lord in His grace comes and converts that person, changes that person's heart. There is repentance. We know that on this side of the Christian life, because of the consequence of sin, there is no way to have the fellowship they would like to have. There is no way. Sometimes because of the law, sometimes because of the breaking of the trust to a level. The the comfort that we have is that we will spend eternity together with that person. If there is true repentance, the work of God in save that person, we must remember that for all eternity, we will be together, reconciled. Maybe not right now. Because sins have consequences. But there is an aspect too of our own hearts, of how if, if we forgive someone who has repented, maybe we cannot be reconciled in a way that we can hug each other, see each other all the time and be together. That might not happen. But in your heart, you know that there has been reconciliation. And you long for heaven or the new heavens and new earth when you'll be able to enjoy the friendship and relationship in a different level. How must we forgive one another? We must forgive one another by expressing expressing our forgiveness through proper words, the tone of our voice and gestures. Someone comes to you broken, says, Todd, I sin against you, please forgive me. Todd doesn't say, okay, all right. Biblical words, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, brother. Tone of voice. How should we speak? There is joy in heaven. Of course I forgive you, brother. 
What a joy it is to join heaven right now and be able to embrace you and forgive you. What forgiveness is that that we are joyless, graceless, and as if it is a burden to forgive someone? Is that how God forgives us? And when possible, express your gesture. A firm, gracious shake of hand, a hug, heart to heart, a kiss. It's forgiven. The relationship is back. Reconciliation has been accomplished. In Second Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul tells the church, now there was a member who had been kicked out of the church, excommunicated because of sin. He repents. He's coming back to the church. And the church is taking a little longer to welcome that brother. And Paul says, it's time to welcome him. He has repented. Embrace him. And he tells the church to welcome him back with love and to comfort him. That's how you forgive, just like Christ. How do we forgive one another? Lastly, we forgive one another in Christ. There is no way to forgive one another outside Christ. No, 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 no. Let us never, let us never treat one another outside Christ. That's a recipe for carnality, disaster. I pray that we, I will never treat you outside our union with Christ, and I pray that you never treat me outside our union with Christ. Because we are supposed to forgive one another as God forgave us in Christ Jesus. And when we remember how much Christ has forgiven us, when we behold what He has done for us, let me tell you, it becomes much easier to forgive one another. So, what some people will say is, it is impossible. It's impossible to forgive like God. Are you kidding me? And I would say, yes and no. Yes, of course, we are not God. We are not perfect like God is. So, yes, in one sense, we cannot forgive like God perfectly. But no, because when Paul says, you must also forgive one another as God forgave you. There is a command. And this command implies power and ability to fulfill it. And that's the power of the gospel. When the gospel comes and changes our hearts, we are united with Christ, in Christ, in Christ with Him. And now we have the power and ability to do what? Follow the steps of our triune God in forgiving one another. So yes, I will never be able to forgive perfectly. Like God forgives. But yes, I have the power to follow after Him. Despite my imperfections, the remaining sin, I'm called, commanded, obligated to strive to the best of our abilities to forgive one another in Christ. So, as we grow in Christ, think, think about that. As we are growing in Christ as a church, we have two responsibilities. To sin less and to forgive more. <laughs> We have these two responsibilities. To sin less and to be more and more forgiving. Remember that. 
course, we are never going to reach sinless perfection here. But we are indwell is the Holy Spirit in union with Christ members of the new covenant and our lives must be more and more getting to conformity to Christ's life so sinning less and less forgiving more and more I'm supposed to be kinder more gentle more loving more patient and at the same time more forgiving towards one another and Some of you here, honestly, you might have someone in your life that you have promised, I will never forgive that person. I will never forgive that person for what he has done to me. This attitude that you have is more harmful than the sin that that person committed against you. This attitude of, I will never forgive that person no matter what. It's poison. I pray that as we behold the man upon the cross, you know what we need to do? We need to walk through Golgotha. We need to walk through Golgotha. We need to behold the cross of Christ. We need to behold the ugliness of our own sins. See how much God has forgiven us in Christ. And if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have been adopted by God in Christ Jesus, you have the power and the ability to forgive as God forgave you. We're going to be singing Tis so, so sweet to trust in Jesus. The word says Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus just to trust His cleansing blood. And in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. So sweet to be forgiven by Christ. So sweet. But there is something that can become even sweeter. Is when we forgive one another. Do you know why? Because that shows that we taste the sweetness of God's forgiveness towards us. So brothers and sisters, run to Christ. Run to Christ. Behold the man upon the cross. Bitterness, anger, does not to be a master in your life. Does not need to be a master in your life. Run to Jesus Christ. He will embrace in His arms. And those arms will empower you to embrace others. Father, we... We thank you for how you have forgiven us. And our hearts are humbled by the way you have removed our sins. As far as the east is from the west, you placed our sins on Christ. He was taken outside the camp just like that goat that we might come in to the presence of God.
Thank you for canceling our debt. And thank you for your promise that you will remember our sins no more in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that as we behold how much we have been forgiven by you, that we would become more and more forgiving. A forgiving church in light of how much we have been forgiven by you. Help us. This is a profound, vast subject, Lord. It's not that simple. We need you. We need you to help us. But there are things that are simple and we must apply into our lives, Lord. You have forgiven us. We have tasted the sweetness of your forgiveness. And help us to be sweet as you are in forgiving others. It's clear that Satan will and is trying to create havoc in this church, bring disharmony, harm the unity that we have, and how we need to be forgiving, Lord. How we need to obey you. So please help us. For the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen.